Well, good morning, Redeemer family. Lots of people on stage. You just got to be patient, be patient. Well, this morning, would you please open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy, verses 1, or forgive me, chapter 1, verses 8, as we continue our series in 1 Timothy. Now, as you're finding that in your Bibles, I just want to simply ask a few questions of you. Don't put your hands up to these answers. Just answer in your heart. How many of you would say that you have somewhat obsessive personalities? Obsessive personalities. <laughs> Maybe there's some of you who, who get fixated and on researching somewhat obscure, for lack of a better term, theories. You know, some of us are like that, and some of these things are good. But what happens is we can often get fixated on things that lead us down dangerous roads. I think if we're honest, we've maybe done that before. And that's important, and that's, uh, that's why, and, and Paul in this letter here has seen that the Ephesian leaders were doing just that. They were getting fixated, and they had a love for controversies, speculations, and bunny trails. And they followed these, and in doing so, they were causing the church to run off track. So as we learned last week, Paul said to Timothy, stay in Ephesus. Set things right. The leaders are going astray and you're there and you're there to set them right on the right path. Because when leaders fall, when leaders fall, the people suffer. And Paul saw that no good would come in this church if serious changes weren't made. These leaders had untethered themselves from the true gospel message. They were infatuated with these new ideas and were no longer marked with the love that godly leadership is called to. In contrast to the way that these leaders were acting, Paul says to Timothy, he says, this is what true godly leadership looks like. He said, the aim of our charge is love. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul says, Timothy, gospel preaching, selfless love, and holiness, these are the qualities that that ought to mark your leadership, the leadership of the Ephesian church. And Paul longed to see these leaders in Ephesus ruling this way. So as we look at, as as, so in the text that we're going to look at momentarily, Paul continues this aim by refuting and correcting some serious and deadly teaching these leaders were propagating. Leaders matter, amen? And their doctrine matters, amen? So when these things, two things begin to fall into ruin, so goes the church that is following them. So with these things in mind, hear now from the holy, inspired, inerrant, living, and active word to us today. 1 Timothy 1, verse 8 to 11. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God 
with which I have been entrusted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I'm sure some of you here who've been Christians a long time have spent a lot of time wrestling with what the Christian's response should be to the law of Moses. On the flip side, I know that there are some of you here who maybe haven't been Christians for too long, and you're thinking, Matt, I've never thought about that. But the leaders in Ephesus, some of them had made it their source book. They made it their source book for pulling out bizarre and irrelevant speculations. In verse 7 of this chapter, Paul had said that these leaders were desiring to be teachers of the law, and get this, without understanding either what they were saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Paul plainly says they have no clue what they are saying. And more than that, they're saying it with confidence. Right? There's nothing worse than a confident fool. These, ne- these teachers needed to have a reorientation towards the law. They had strayed onto a dangerous road. So Paul said to Timothy, reschool them on the law of Moses and how they should relate to it. Now, in our text this morning, four verses long, Paul doesn't say all that could be said of the Christian's view of the law. He doesn't have time for that. So this morning, we aren't either, but what we will see are some basic, some basic principles for making sure that we get all that we are meant to out of the law. So the very first thing Paul says is that the Christian needs to see that the law is good. The law is good. He says, you'll never understand the law. You're never going to get it right. You're never going to glean all that you can from it if you don't see that. So in verse 8, Paul says plainly, now we know that the law is good. William Mounts, a commentator, comments on this verse. He says this, Paul begins by pointing out that they, that is his opponents, have misunderstood his position, and that both he and his opponents do agree on one essential point. The law is good. So right off the bat, Paul clears up any ambiguity there might be about his position towards the law. So far from abandoning it, far from abandoning it, he affirms its goodness. These false teachers were using it for fodder to feed their foolish controversies and speculations, but Paul knew and affirmed If the law is in the right hands, if it's seen rightly, then it is good. It is useful. Later on in 2 Timothy, Paul would declare the same thing. We know this verse well. Paul said, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now who knows, what's all that that all Scripture referring to? The Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. Paul says the law is God-breathed and completely necessary. It's useful. It's there to teach us, to correct us, and to help us walk in the commandments of God. Paul was echoing the psalmist prayer found in Psalm, one, and found in Psalm 19. Here the psalmist thanks God, worships him for giving the law. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The law was a gift. It was a gift to God's people. And it's still a gift to us. That's why Paul would say to the Roman church, he'd say, so the law is holy, 
and the commandment is good, or the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And then in Galatians 3, lots of us know this verse well, because Levi quoted it in Leviticus on the lawn all summer. Paul said in Galatians 3.24, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified, justified by faith. You see, these few scriptures hammer home the point that we need to see. The law is good. And again, we saw this as we walked through Leviticus. There we saw that the law revealed God's character. It exposed Israel's sin. It pointed, to, pointed them to their need for atonement. It showed them how to, to live in such a way that was separate from all the pagan nations around them. And the Christian today can study the law just the same and be nourished by it. So Paul says to Timothy, don't throw out the law. Don't throw out the law just because these Ephesian leaders are misusing it. As the saying goes, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. They've butchered the law, Timothy, but you remember and you proclaim its goodness, its usefulness. And I think this is a, a helpful reminder for us, even just in our, our conversations with the, the, our, our coworkers, our unsaved family, because this is a perfect example of Paul. Really, I mean, let's be honest. If Paul was living in 2021 and this was happening here, you want to know what the world would tell him to do, what the churches would say to do? They'd say, just throw the law out. They'd say, get rid of it. Cancel it. And if Paul had to listen to them, guess what? We would have lost our greatest tool for preaching the gospel. That is the Old Testament. Paul doesn't throw out the law. He says, no, the law is good. We just need to get back to the way that we're supposed to read it and see it. So friends, this morning, let's resolve to be men and women who have the hard talks, who work hard to understand, and who correct and set straight when necessary. The law is good. It was misused in Ephesus, but nevertheless, it's a gift for the people of God. We're never going to understand it, and we're never going to use it rightly if we don't see that. But secondly, Paul says, the law is a restraint. The law is a restraint. Paul had said the law is good, but he says it needs to be used as it was made to be used. Or as Paul puts it, it must be used lawfully. Look with me to verses 1, or chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. Paul said this, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul says that in order for us to use the law as it was intended, we need to understand that the law was given in the first place because people are bad. The law was given because we are bad the law wouldn't be needed if we were all good people, following all the commandments of God. No, no, God didn't give the law to puff up the righteous. No, not at all. He gave it to us to expose that there are none righteous. None. He gave it to restrain our disobedience. If we were all righteous, we wouldn't need the law. 
Police patrol our cities precisely because there are bad people who do bad things. Donald Guthrie comments on these verses. He says this, The law is designed for lawbreakers who ignore the law, for rebels who are not amenable to discipline, for the ungodly who have no reverence for God, for the sinful who oppose him, and for the unholy and irreligious who deny sacred things. The law was given to restrain us, friends. It was given to expose our sins. Here in the text before us, Paul outlines a list of sins in these verses. And if you look closely, you'll notice there's a connection to the Ten Commandments. The first three groups Paul mentions, that is the lawless and disobedient, ungodly and sinners, unholy and profane, have a vertical dimension. These sins relate to humans' relationship towards God. And Paul says, the law was given to expose and restrain the evil that is in men's heart toward God. Why? Because we don't obey Him in the flesh, do we? We don't love Him. We don't serve Him. No, we rebel against Him. We wallow in our sin and unholiness. If we're frank, in our flesh, we oppose all that God is. And the second group of sins that Paul lists correspond to the second half of the Ten Commandments. And these sins relate to human relationships. He says the law was given to expose and restrain the sins of those who disrespect their parents, murder, are unrestrained sexually, kidnappers, and liars. And just to make sure, just to make sure that everybody knows that, that Paul's talking about all sin, he adds this in verse 10. He says, the law was given to expose whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. If you're sitting here thinking, oh, I, I, none of my sins are on that list. No, no, Paul says it. They are. They are. The point is clear. The law was given to show us our sin, to restrain us, to hold back our evil hearts. Because left to our own devices, friends, left to our own devices, we know that we would live in constant and continuous rebellion against God. And ultimately, we'd kill each other. That's where it would go. The law exposed and restrained our evil. So Paul says to Timothy, make sure that these false teachers get that. Make sure that you preach that to them again. Because right now, this is what they're doing. They're fascinated with myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations. Paul says they've got the law all wrong. They're abusing it. Instead of seeing it and appreciating it for what it was for, they've twisted it. And they're applying it to the church in unhelpful ways. And they're only strangling the faith of God's people. Their study of the law didn't lead them to see gospel glories, but instead led them to unnecessary, unhelpful, silly, vain discussions. And more than that, they were even adding burdens to the people of God, like forbidding marriage and insisting on abstinence from certain foods. We're going to see that later in the letter. Paul plainly says, Timothy, they've got the law wrong. They have got it wrong, and the church is going to go off the track if you don't say something. Friends, do you, do you see the seriousness of this? The, these teachers took the good law, something that was a tool given by God, and twisted it and misused it so bad, the church was going to fall apart. 
Maybe it's not the law. Maybe it's something else in your life. But some of us are way too interested in certain doctrines, missing the forest for the trees. Some of us are way too quick and eager to enter into vain discussions and speculate and then even divide over secondary, tertiary issues. And again, as I started this morning, I know that some of us are wired that way. And God's gifted us all in such a way. Some of us like to fixate on things, and that can be used. If harnessed rightly, that that is a good tool. But sometimes it leads us off the edge. And this text is a key reminder for us that whatever our motivation is, if we're toying with the law, if we're toying with other theories, other controversies, if we're not careful, they're going to lead us right off the track. And they're going to hurt the ones we bring with us. That's what happened in Ephesus. And today, friends, the church is just as susceptible to those same temptations. So don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't hunker down and devote all your time trying to discover the mark of the beast. Let the scriptures lead you to where they are meant to. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the third thing we see in our text this morning. You're never going to use and understand the law rightly if you don't see that the law points us to Jesus. The law points us to Jesus. As we already said this morning, Paul's purpose was not to give a full theological treatise on the law. No. It was to deal with specific leaders in Ephesus. It was to right these errors. And here he lands on the most important point. I'm going to read verses 9 to 11 again, but this time I want you to listen closely to what he says as he comes to the end of this list. Look with me again at the text. Understanding this, Timothy, understanding this, Redeemer, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul says the law is good, right? He hasn't thrown it out just because some people are misusing it. He then stressed the need to see that one of its purposes was to restrain evil, to hold back our evil tendencies. And here in concluding this section, he stresses that in order to get the law right, in order to glean everything that you're meant to, you need to see that it points us to Jesus. Paul put it this way, He said the law exposed everything that was contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel. The law was the doctor giving us the bad news. The bad but necessary news that we are all sinners in need of redemption. And Paul says the gospel, which is actually the good news, is what the law was pointing us to the whole time. So, far from contradicting the gospel, far from getting in in the way of us preaching the gospel, says... Paul says, no, the law is there to point us to it. The law is there to point, it, point us to Jesus. As the law exposed our sin, it showed us our weakness. It showed us our inability to ever live up to all that God had intended for us. It slayed any pride, didn't it? It slayed any pride or wishful thinking, our hopes that we could ever live up to the righteous requirement of the law. As John John Owen said, this is the proper work of the law. To discover sin in the guilt of it, 
to awake and humble the soul for it, to be a glass to represent sin in its colors. You see, the law was meant to crush you. The law was meant to crush Israel. In order, they would see their inadequacy. They'd be brought low, and they would long for Jesus. That was the end of the goal, the goal, or the end goal of the, of the law. It was never meant to be a burden to people, no. It was meant to protect them, to guard them from themselves, from the nations around them. It was meant to show them their need of redemption. The Israelite was to worship and relish in the mercy of God as God provided the temple sacrifices to atone for their sin. But as the writer of Hebrews says, again, this was a verse we read almost every week in Leviticus, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So as the sinner was doing what God had commanded him, offering the sacrifice, they were to look forward to the day when God would provide the ultimate sacrifice. The sacrifice that would cover sins once and for all. That's what the law was meant to do. That's why John the Baptist, John the Baptist, he himself being pierced by the law, having felt its conviction, knowing his own sin, when he saw Jesus amongst the crowd, what did he say? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John said, that's him. That is who we have been waiting for. That's who we've been waiting for. There he is. That was the end goal of the law. The law is good, friends. The law is helpful. But it won't be either of these things if you don't get there. The law is not there to bring Christians under further restrictions. No, we're not supposed to go back to the Jewish calendar. All of these were but shadows, as Paul said in Colossians. He said this, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So if your study of the law leads you anywhere else but Jesus, then you're reading it wrong. If the law leads you back into the, to the Jewish calendar keeping, then you're, you're reading it wrong. If the law leads you into an obsession with the politics of modern day Israel, you're reading it wrong. The law is supposed to lead you right to Jesus Christ. So what do we do with the law? We let it slay us. We let it zap us of all our pride and strength. We let it crush us so that we lose all hope of saving ourselves. Because when we get there, we're ripe for receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where the law was meant to take us. So Paul's charge to Timothy was to preach correct doctrine that was in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. See, Paul was entrusted with the gospel, just like Timothy. And not only were they proclaimers of it, they were also partakers of it. They themselves had felt the weight of their sin. They themselves had been crushed by the law and its demands. And they, by the Spirit of God, were led to the foot of the cross where they received mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. So Paul's charge is clear. He says, oh, Timothy, don't let anything, don't let anything get in the way of the saving and glorious message of Jesus Christ. Don't let anything get in the way. Don't get tangled up in the silly weeds of needless myths, speculations, and controversies. 
Don't go near them. Preach the good law and make sure it leads you to Christ. Thanks be to God. Now, friends, as we come to a conclusion this morning, I think it'd be helpful to ask ourselves a few hard questions. Questions that really flow right out of our text. And the first is this. Have you here this morning, are you watching online, have you ever been brought to your knees by the law? Have you felt the weight of the law the way you're supposed to? Have you let it crush you? Have you let it humble you? Have you let it make you despair of ever being able to save yourself? Have you felt your sin? Have you felt your guilt? And I'll be honest, I know, hopefully none of us here in this room, but I know that there are many people, Christians included, who despise this message. They would say, no, you can't go on preaching that. People aren't going to come to Christ if you start telling them about their sin. You, you can't do that. Lots of these people would say, the world is broken enough. They've got their own issues. Don't do that. But what these people are missing is that these men and women, people that we rub shoulders with day in and day out, hurting men and women, men and women who have been hurt from broken relationships, addictions, poverty, you know, these men and women have not necessarily ever held themselves up to the righteous law of God. They have never wrestled with the fact that from their first breath they have been rebelling against God Almighty. Really, many people's brokenness is actually not broken enough. Friends, just like fractures that sometimes have grown back improperly and need to be rebroken, so humans need to be broken before they can be healed. And the way that God breaks us is by crushing us with the weight of the law. He shows us our depravity. He brings us nice and low with the law. And he whets our appetite for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because only then and there, when we are low, when we feel the weight of our guilt and our shame, are we ready to grip on to Christ and hope in nothing else? Have you been there? Maybe you're there this morning. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, God reminds us what a true, what a true recipient of mercy looks like. God says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. She who is humble. She who has seen her lowly estate before before her holy and awesome God. He who is contrite, he who has seen his sin, he who has turned away from it. And they who tremble at God's word. Those who fear him. Those who submit to him. Those who follow him. Has the law exposed your sin and knocked you down a peg or two? Or ten? Well, good. Good. If it has, you're right in the spot you need to be. Look up. Look up and see Christ who committed no sin, who lived every single second of his life in conformity to the righteousness of God. And look to the one who was condemned, forsaken, crucified, who bore the righteous wrath of God, not because he had done anything wrong, but so that he could take your place. 
so that he could take my place. So that men and women who were murderers, adulterers, liars, gossipers, prideful, selfish, and unloving sinners could have their sins washed away once and for all. So that sinners could be brought to the throne room of God. Let the law do that to you. Let it bring you to your knees so that you're near to the foot of the cross, trusting only in Jesus' blood and righteousness. And secondly, this morning, friends, and lastly, I'd ask, have you fallen into the trap of majoring on the minors? Have you fallen into the trap of majoring on the minors? You know, some of these Ephesian leaders, they took the good law of God and completely misused it. They did it by following bunny trails that were never meant to be followed. In fact, they dug their own bunny trails because these weren't even in the text. And it led them away from Christ. And these bunny trails derailed the ministry of the gospel in Ephesus. Think about that. It undid years of faithful gospel proclamation in their congregation. And it would have led to spiritual death without a serious intervention. Friends, that's what happens when we lose sight of what is most important. Studying is good. Studying is necessary. But when it leads us into vain discussion, controversies, disunity, and ultimately away from the gospel, away from the people of God, then we've strayed way too far. So this morning, check yourself. Check yourself. What is dominating your thoughts? Is it the Word of God? Is it the Word of God or is it the news? Or is it some preacher in the States who has no connection to you at all? Have you lost your love for your local church because they have a different stance on something that isn't paramount? Have you majored on something that you know is not most important? Have you followed down bunny trails that have taken you away from the gospel that are leading you off the track? Don't major on the minors. And how do we avoid this error? We tether ourselves to the gospel. We tether ourselves to the gospel. We root ourselves in it. We make it our aim to know it, to eat it, to sleep it, to breathe it. Because when we stray from this, friends, that's when we fall into ruin. That's when we lose sight of the main thing and give way to secondary, secondary things. As Pastor Levi said last week, We can't let things that should be in the trunk of the car be in the front seat leading the way. No, this has to stop. And it stops by us being a people who keep first things first. The gospel. That begins in our church. We continue to devote our time to learning and studying and seeing the glory of Jesus Christ in all of the scriptures. From the nursery, you heard me, from the nursery to the gym in here, Every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, we make sure that the gospel is being heralded week in and week out. Our small groups, our Thursdays life together, we make sure that we are, we are, we are preaching the gospel on one another. We are studying hard. We're looking to see Christ in all that we do. In our homes, we make the word dominate our conversation with our spouses, with our kids. We let it wash over us. And friends, when we're tempted to stray, when we're tempted and when we see others doing the same thing, running off the track, we grab them in love. We grip ourselves and we preach the gospel message to ourselves. 
We root ourselves in that, and we remember our chief aim is to see Christ treasured and glorified in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our neighborhoods, and in the world for the glory of God. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we have been starkly reminded of the fact that, Lord, when we take good things and misuse them and twist them, Father, we can run amok. So we ask now that you would protect us, protect us, your people, from doing that, Lord. With your word, we pray that we would handle it rightly. We pray that we would look for Christ and make sure that he is always the one that we're looking for as we open your word. But we also pray, Father, that you would protect us in our conversations um, at work and in our homes and in our churches on secondary things, Lord. We pray that we would keep first things first. Help us, Lord, for the glory of your name, for the good of your people, and for the, the good of our gospel witness in Aurelia and beyond. Help us, Lord. And it's in Jesus' mighty, saving, awesome name we pray. Amen. Worship team.